Hello and welcome to Genetics Unzipped, the Genetics Society podcast with me, Kat Arney. In this episode, we're squelching through the Californian mud, swimming with platypuses, bearing witness to daylight genetic robbery, and even finding time to catch an episode of Star Trek as we look back on some of the most mind-blowing stories from the world of genetics in 2021. You might not think that there are many cutting-edge scientific discoveries waiting to be uncovered in a pile of mud. But earlier this year, Professor Jill Banfield, a microbiologist from the University of California, Berkeley, proved that the best scientific discoveries can be found even in the most unlikely places. Banfield and her team were studying how microbes influence the carbon cycle the way in which the carbon atoms are recycled from the air into living things, and then back again. In particular, she was curious about the role of extra-chromosomal elements, bits of DNA that float around outside the main microbial genome. Extra-chromosomal elements often carry non-essential but useful genes that microbes can share between them. For example, genes for antimicrobial resistance are carried on small circles of DNA known as plasmids, which get swapped between bacteria and help to spread antibiotic resistance through the population. Banfield and her team set about squelching through the Californian mud, looking for bugs containing genes that could be involved in the carbon cycle. One of the microbes they found was a bacteria-like microbe called methanoperidins, Strictly speaking, it's a member of the kingdom of Archaea and not a bacterium at all. When they took a closer look at these bugs, they noticed something very strange going on with their extra-chromosomal DNA. While most bacterial plasmids are circles of DNA, typically anywhere between 500 to 2,500 letters or bases long, these methanoperidens microbes contain huge linear pieces of DNA with 600,000 to a million base pairs, making them up to a third of the length of the main archaeal genome. Further inspection of the gigantic structures revealed that they carried many new genes that had been scavenged, collected or otherwise assimilated from other organisms in the same environment. These extra-chromosomal elements were unlike anything Banfield had ever seen before, so she needed to come up with a name for them. In a discussion with her son over Thanksgiving dinner, he suggested the name Borg, after the legendary Star Trek villains, because of their ability to assimilate. And just like that, the biological Borgs had landed. Maintaining huge molecular structures like Borgs is energetically expensive, so they must offer some benefit to the Archaea who carry them. The Borgs found by Banfield and her team were associated with Methanoperidon's Archaea, which digest the carbon-based gas methane, suggesting that Borgs may be specifically involved in that process. But further genetic analysis of Borgs suggests that they may carry many more useful genes that they've pinched from their neighbours, allowing them to act as gigantic floating molecular toolboxes. Banfield immediately saw the technological potential of Borgs, exclaiming on Twitter that she hasn't been this excited since CRISPR! She hopes that one day we'll be able to recruit the Borgs and use them for our own purposes, including controlling greenhouse gases like methane in the fight against climate change. So, maybe not such a baddie after all. 
they're used to the idea that genes get passed down the generations from parent to child, so-called vertical gene transfer, if you want to get technical about it. And for most types of multicellular organisms, that's it. The only way to share genes in a population is to get down to making babies. However, some microbes can spread their genes around through horizontal gene transfer, swapping bits of DNA directly with each other, like the example of plasmids in our previous story. But this ability was thought to be solely restricted to bacteria and other simple organisms. However, this was the year that evidence emerged of this rule being broken, with the first known example of horizontal gene transfer, or gene theft, from plants to insects, reported by an international team of scientists led by Yu Jun Zhang from the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Sciences. The gene bandits of this story are whitefly. A close relative of aphids and among the most destructive agricultural pests on the planet, whitefly extract and eat sugar sap from plants. But while they're gobbling up their sweet treat, they excrete a sticky substance called honeydew, which allows mould to grow on the plant. They also act as vectors for plant pathogens and quickly develop resistance to pesticides, making them prolific crop killers. It turns out that a bit of genetic thievery has helped whitefly to become one of the world's biggest pests. Genetic analysis revealed that the whitefly stole a gene called BTPMAT1 from its plant hosts millions of years ago. The gene in question encodes a protein that neutralises toxic phenolic glycosides, which plants produce to ward off insects. While the gene is important in plants to protect them from their own internally produced pesticide, the stolen version in whiteflies allows them to produce an antidote to the toxin so they can munch away happily on plants that other insects avoid. The protective gene found in whitefly is only seen in a small group of whitefly species and seems to have appeared from nowhere. No other white fly or insects have any genes similar to BTPMAT1, which is only found in plants. So, theft is the obvious explanation. Exactly how the white fly stole the gene remains unclear, but it could have involved a smuggler like a virus. Zhang and the team are now working on ways to inhibit the stolen gene, making the white fly susceptible to the toxin again and reducing their agricultural impact. Genetic thievery and evolutionary shortcuts like this could be much more common than previously thought, as species battle against each other in arms races. But just like pinning down the culprit of a long-gone crime, its occurrence can be difficult to prove. Advances in genomic sequencing and analysis are bringing us new insights all the time into the relationships between genes and species, and shedding light on their evolutionary origins. So who knows how many more genetic bandits might be out there? The 19th century French biologist and chemist Louis Pasteur once wrote, The universe is asymmetric, and I am persuaded that life as it is known to us, is a direct result of the asymmetry of the universe or of its indirect consequences. On Earth, life is indeed asymmetric, right down to its very molecules. And in the case of DNA, it's right-handed. Sorry, lefties. 
If you look at natural DNA from below and draw an arrow up the structure, following its characteristic double helix, you'll find that the arrow always turns clockwise to the right. This handedness is called chirality. DNA is not the only chiral biological molecule. In fact, nucleotides, amino acids and many other naturally occurring organic compounds are chiral too. The mirror image of DNA, which turns to the left, is called LDNA. LDNA has gained some attention in recent years because it has the potential to be used in data storage. Unlike naturally occurring DNA, LDNA can't be recognised by the naturally occurring enzymes that break down DNA, making it a good option for robust data storage. But there's a catch. Making LDNA is difficult because naturally occurring DNA polymerase enzymes only make right-handed DNA. Over the past few years, scientists from Tsinghua University in Beijing, China, have flipped the problem around, creating mirror image DNA polymerases made with mirror image amino acids, which can build LDNA in the same way that natural polymerases build right-handed DNA. The researchers made their first flipped polymerase back in 2016. Because they had to build it from scratch, they used the smallest polymerase they could find, an enzyme from a pig virus made up of just 174 amino acids. Although the mirror image enzyme worked and created LDNA, it was very slow and made lots of mistakes. But to make LDNA storage a reality, the researchers knew that they needed a better polymerase enzyme that could make LDNA synthesis as fast and efficient as its right-handed cousin. So they set about making a southpaw version of DNA polymerase called PFU, which is stable, efficient and accurate. Unfortunately, it's also huge and made up of a whopping 775 amino acids. With no enzymes or bacteria to help, making a protein of this size is a gigantic task. The scientists split the protein into smaller sections, which they made and then joined together to make the full mirror image enzyme. Once they were finished, their mirror polymerase enzyme became the largest chemically synthesised protein to date. Importantly, it's not just enough to be able to write left-handed DNA to store data you need to be able to read the sequence to extract the information back out again. Fortunately, in 2018, the team also developed a way to sequence LDNA using an adapted version of Maxam-Gilbert sequencing, opening the door to using LDNA as a data storage molecule. For more about the Maxam-Gilbert method, check out our recent episode on the history of DNA sequencing, Reading the Book of Life. The Chinese team have so far used their mirrored enzyme to encode a passage of text written by Louis Pasteur in 1860, where he speculated about mirror biology. And consequently, if the mysterious influence to which the asymmetry of natural products is due should change its sense or direction, the constitutive elements of all living beings would assume the opposite symmetry. Perhaps a new world would present itself to our view. Who could foresee the organisation of living things if cellulose, right as it is, became left? If the albumen of the blood, now left, became right? These are mysteries which furnish much work for the future, 
and demand henceforth the most serious consideration from science. To prove the robustness and storage potential of LDNA, the researchers stored their coded message in pond water for a year before successfully amplifying and sequencing it to decode the message. The same sequence encoded in natural DNA didn't even last a day under the same conditions. The team have also used their mirror polymerase to encode an entire mirror gene. The gene, which is around 1,500 bases long, encodes part of a mirror image ribosome which the researchers hope to create in the future as a part of their reverse molecular toolkit on their way to an entire mirror image cell. More than 160 years after Pasteur speculated on what might happen if the constitutive elements of life were to be reversed, we could be about to find out. You're listening to Genetics Unzipped, the Genetics Society podcast. Find us online at geneticsunzipped.com and on Twitter at geneticsunzip. And while you're at it, why not tell a friend so more people can discover and enjoy the show. The genetic alphabet as we know it consists of four letters, A, G, T and C, which are the abbreviations of four chemical bases, adenine, guanine, thymine and cytosine. A always pairs with T through two connections known as hydrogen bonds, while G always pairs with C through three bonds. This four-letter code has long been considered fixed for all life on Earth, but in 1977, researchers in the Soviet Union identified a phage virus called S2L, which infects photosynthetic bacteria, that contained a chemically modified version of adenine, which they called 2-aminoadenine, or Z for short. Z is very similar to A, but it has an extra little chemical addition known as an amine group. This allows it to form a third hydrogen bond with its pairing partner T, compared to the usual two between A and T. As a result, the Z-T pairing is more stable and resistant to the kinds of viral DNA chomping enzymes that make up the bacterial immune system. But although it's intriguing, the discovery was considered a scientific curiosity and largely ignored in the decades that followed. Then, in the early 2000s, researchers at the University of Evry in France began looking more closely at the curious Z-based S2L virus genome. They identified the genes for producing Z and began searching for other viruses that harboured the same genes, suggesting that they might also make Z too. To their surprise, far from S2L being a one-off, there were hundreds of similar phages that were also using Z instead of A. Then, in 2021, researchers managed to identify all the molecular machinery necessary for using Z to make DNA instead of A, including an enzyme that produces Z and a polymerase enzyme that incorporates Z into DNA as it's being replicated. Scientists think that using Z could help viruses avoid bacterial defences that recognise and destroy foreign genetic code. Yep, we're back to arms races again. But the additional stability of the Z-T pairing could provide other advantages. 
The appearance of Z in viruses shows the adaptability of the genetic code and dispels the myth that it's a frozen, static or completed code. In fact, there may be many more examples of ZT pairing or other substitutions in nature that haven't been discovered yet because standard genetic sequencing can't identify them. I guess you don't know what's out there if you can't see it. Who knows what other letters we could be adding to the genetic alphabet in future. By any standard, platypuses are weird, with a seemingly random collection of features that look like they pressed the evolutionary shuffle button a little too enthusiastically. Among their bizarre characteristics are a bill like a duck, a tail like a beaver, and no stomach or teeth. They have webbed feet with electroreceptors that help them to track prey, decorated with venomous spurs and attached to limbs that stick out from their side like reptiles do. And although they're warm-blooded and technically classed as mammals, they lay eggs rather than giving birth to live young and feed their babies by sweating milk out through their skin. Platypuses and their closest relatives four species of echidna, are all found in Australia and are the only living examples of monotremes, mammals that lay eggs. Platypuses are often considered a mix of mammalian and reptile because of their features, but in truth they are the least understood mammal. Learning more about the platypus and echidna could help uncover evolutionary clues about things like how life evolved from egg-laying reptiles to birthing mammals. In search of some genetic explanations for the platypus's unique characteristics, back in January 2021, scientists published the most complete genome sequence of the platypus to date. Although the platypus genome was first sequenced in 2008, scientists had only properly mapped about 25% of the genes in there, with the rest remaining a mystery. Researchers from universities in Australia, China, Japan, USA and Denmark have now mapped 96% of the platypus genome and have already started uncovering clues that could help us understand more about the evolution of mammals. For example, most birds and insects have multiple copies of a gene called vitella genin, which is involved in producing egg yolk. Most mammals don't have this gene, but platypuses and their cousins do have one copy of the gene allowing them to continue to lay eggs. So, presumably, some ancient ancestral mammals lost their vitellogenin genes, and with it, our egg-laying talents, while the ancient ancestor of the monotremes held on to it. However, platypuses have mammal-like genes for making milk, suggesting that the trait is derived from a common ancestor that was around before monotremes and live-birthing mammals diverged. Still, there are plenty more mysteries about the platypus left to unravel, like the fact that their sex chromosomes seem to have more in common with birds than regular mammals. Platypuses have five pairs of sex chromosomes compared to our one pair. Based on the latest genome mapping, the researchers think that these sex chromosomes were once in a ring formation and then broke up into pieces. It seems pretty bizarre, but then that's only to be expected with such a fascinating and unique creature.
That's all for now. We'll be back next time taking a look at the genetics of music. Apologies to everyone who was expecting that episode last month. We had an unavoidable scheduling issue with one of our guests, but it will be worth the wait, I promise. For more information about this podcast, including show notes, transcripts, links, references, music credits, and everything else, head over to geneticsunzipped.com. You can find us on Twitter at geneticsunzip, and please do take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference, and it helps more people discover the show. Genetics Unzipped is written and presented by me, Katani, with additional research and scripting by Emily Norvang. It's produced by First Create the Media for the Genetic Society, one of the oldest learned societies in the world, dedicated to supporting and promoting the research, teaching and application of genetics. You can find out more and apply to join at genetics.org.uk. Our theme music was composed by Dan Pollard and our logo was designed by James Mayle. Audio production is by Hannah Varrell. Thanks for listening and until next time, goodbye.